Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi ladhin astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rasuli wa khatimi l-anbiya. Wa ala alihi l-askiya wa ashabihi l-athqiya. Amma ba'd. In our previous classes we were discussing the different engagements that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had with the companions as the total package of education, teaching, how the Prophet ﷺ was effective with the students that he taught. So today we enter into a um, new chapter, Su'aluhu Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ashabahum, that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ashabahu, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam questioning his companions. Why? لِيَكْشِفَ ذُكَأَهُمْ So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam can examine their, uh, their intelligence and ma'rifatahum, uh, how well they understood a particular matter. Yes, go ahead. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahabi ajma'in. This is kind of like the quiz part, where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would quiz them to see whether they understood something, whether they had connected the dots or not, whether they had grown where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam desired to see them grow. So there was a quiz element to this. This is what the chapter is about. Yes. Posing questions to gauge a person's intellect and knowledge. Rasulullah used to question his Sahaba regarding a particular matter despite him his knowing the answer. He used to question them to stimulate their intelligence and arouse their minds and would impart knowledge to them in the form of a deliberation to order in order to gauge their, the knowledge they possessed. Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar anhu, who said, We were sitting in the company of Rasulullah when a palm core was brought to him. While eating it, he said, from The palm core was very much uh, beloved to the Arabs. They would, they would eat it with joy, uh, specifically uh, with honey. They would mix it with honey and eat it. So there was a uh, special taste to it that they enjoyed. So as Rasulullah was eating this, he then asked a question. Go ahead. From, while eating it, he said, From among the many trees, there is a green tree whose goodness and benefits are like those of a Muslim. Its leaves do not fall, nor do they scatter about. It produces its fruit at its appointed time by the permission of the sustainer. It is similar to a Muslim. Tell me what tree is that. Yes, yeah, so here... The Prophet ﷺ questions them regarding a particular tree. 
he's eating from a tree and from the from this core of the palm tree, and he decides to question them regarding a tree that is full of baraka. Its tree, its leaves do not scatter and fall everywhere. It is usually um, quite punctual in delivering its fruit. The harvest is quite consistent. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked the companions, which tree is it? Tell me. Go ahead. There are several reasons for the comparison between the date palm and a Muslim. It is regarded as the best and highest of trees in rank. There is abundant goodness in it. It provides shade all the time. It provides, uh, it produces wholesome fruit. Its fruit is perennial. From the time it bears fruit, these, these are eaten in different forms until new dates appear, which are then harvested. The Arabs would have dates, uh, you know, as soon as a date appeared on the tree, even if in its earliest phase of existence, they would begin eating it. There were dates that they preferred that were still somewhat dry. They preferred dates that were, you know, very firm. They liked dates that were now soft and sweet. They liked the dates that are now at the end of the season dried that were left up behind there. So depending on, you know, regardless of where it was in the season, as long as it, the, the date existed, they were eating it in some form or another. When the date palm dries, it provides numerous benefits. Its wood, leaves, and branches are used for stumps, firewood, staffs, batons, ropes, utensils, etc. Even its date pits are used as fodder for a camel. As, as for its beautiful growth and leaves, beautiful shape and fruit, its lofty and soaring height, its evergreen leaves, its firm roots, which prevents the wind and storm from uprooting it, and its generous shadow and shade, these are the obvious be benefits and the many well-known and praiseworthy advantages for those living in the Arabian Peninsula. Allah Ta'ala praised this tree greatly in several verses of the Quran. Similarly, a Muslim or a believer is an embodiment of goodness and benefit. His blessings encompass all situations. His benefits are perpetual in his favor and in favor of others after his death. He does good deeds, speaks good, engages in various types of obedience by the way of fasting, performing salah, reciting the Quran, remembering Allah Ta'ala, reprimanding others of Allah Ta'ala, giving in charity, commanding good, and prohibiting evil. He intermingles with people, he exercises patience over their transgressions against him, he living and attracts people towards him, he benefits people without causing them any harm. He is beautiful in his conduct and speech, his noble characteristics are of benefit to others, he gives and does not refuse, he gives preference to others and is not covetous, and the passage of days only increases him in his aloofness and detachment from this world. Hardships and Afflictions only serve to make him more firm and steadfast on the truth. He hastens towards goodness and beneficial beneficial ventures and eradicates innoble and re uh, rep reprehensible traits. His deeds are accepted and liked by his sustainer. If you sit in his company, he will benefit you. If you partner with him, he will benefit you. If you accompany him, he will benefit you. If you ask his advice, he will benefit you. There is benefit in every facet of his affairs, whether whatever knowledge emanates from him is a source of nourishment for his souls and hearts. He is enshrouded and encompassed by his Islam. He is never devoid of the clothing of piety. His good deeds do not stop whether he is in a state of affluence or poverty, health or illness. In fact, his good deeds do not, e do not even end after his death. He views his life for the benefit of his hereafter. He seeks benefit from today for tomorrow. Benefit is derived from everything that 
emanates, emanates from, uh, from him, whether he is alive or dead. The reason for this is that the basis of all his deeds and actions is belief in Allah Ta'ala and benefiting the servants of Allah Ta'ala. Glory be to Allah, how great a believer he is. So here you see the comparison between the tree and the believer. The khulasa of the matter is that the palm tree is not only beautiful outwardly and nutritious inwardly, but it's very generous with what it has to offer. And that is the case of a true believer. As the, uh, as the author, he says, وَمَا يَصْدُرُ عَنْهُ مِنَ الْعُلُومِ فَهُوَ قُوتٌ لِلْأَرْوَاحِ وَالْقُلُوبِ That whatever knowledge emerges from this human being, it is nourishment. لِلْأَرْوَاحِ وَالْقُلُوبِ For the souls and for the heart. وَلَا يَزَالُ مَسْتُورًا بِدِينِهِ وَلَا يَعْرَى مِنْ وَالْتَقْوَى وَلَا يَنْقَطِعُ عَمَلُهُ فِي غِنًا أَوْ that his good deeds never stop, right? The tree doesn't just disappear when it's raining, or if it's sunny, or if it's windy, windy outside, or if it's snow. It's committed. Its roots are deep, so it's here to stay. And that is the case of the believer, that the believer doesn't run away when things get tough or rough. The believer isn't shy when challenged. The believer stands firm and strong. That I'm not here, I'm not leaving or going anywhere. Right? And the khayr and barakah of the believer is continuous. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from uh, believers who fit this description. Who are, who not only are a source of khayr, like the tree, in itself, innately, it has khayr in it. It has good in it. So much that you can bring it down piece by piece and there's something to take. You can do something with the branches, do something with the trunk, do something with the roots, do something with the fruit. Even the bark can be used. Every aspect of the tree can be utilized for khayr. And that should be the state of the believer too. And ask yourself, are you a healthy tree or are you a tree that's ready to fall because it's empty and rotten from its core? Where are you? Are you a tree whose fruit will cause disease with anyone that touches it or eats it? Are you a tree that puts the one sitting under it at risk and danger? Or are you a healthy tree that's actually there to benefit people? Not all trees are the same, just as not all believers and all human beings are the same. There are those from the human beings that are, source, that are sources of khayr wherever they go. Their presence inspires people. In their absence, you miss them, you remember them. When they live, there is a bubble of khayr that surrounds them that no matter what corner of the world they go to, people are attracted to them. They find joy and pleasure, upliftment by being close to that person. And then when that person travels or if they were to pass away, there is an emptiness in the hearts of people. And the question is, is that you? That if a tree was removed, everyone says, oh, this tree was so beneficial that all the fuqara and the Everyone ate from here. The poor and the rich ate from this tree. Where did that tree go? There's a tree that doesn't offer much to society. So if it's there or not, nobody notices. But then there's a tree that everyone notices because the kids remember that when we were young, we used to throw stones at this tree and catch the mango at the bottom and run off. Right? This was that tree. It was a part of our life. People would sit under here. We would tie our horses or bikes or camels to this tree because it was a part of our life. Which one are you? 
when we look at the Sahaba, they were surely the people of Khair and the source of Khair that Rasulullah described their companions to be. Described a Muslim to believe to be. When I look at the just the example of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq the fact that after when we say his name, we add as-Siddiq, that shows us that this was a man of legacy. He was a man of legacy. And I ask myself that if I were to pass away, no one would know me by anything because there's no legacy here. The Prophet tells us that when a person dies, mustarihun aw mustarahun min. Mustarihun, that's one group of people. Mustarahun min, second group of people. Which one are we? Mustarihun is the one that when he dies, he is relieved of the anguish and pain and worries, concern, grind of this dunya. You know that day-to-day grind that we have, you wake up and you go to sleep, wake up and go to sleep, exhausting. Mustarihun, when that person dies, istirah, they're in comfort, relaxation, that ah, I don't have to worry about illness anymore, no more doctor's appointment, no more insurance payments, we're all looking forward to that. Oh, mustarahum min. Or the second person is when they die, the people behind them say, ah, now we're relieved. That that mustarahum min is that, that people are relieved of that person. That their departure has now brought peace to the dunya. There's now a segment of the world that can live in comfort because that human being no longer exists. Mustarihun al mustarahum min. Which one are we? Go ahead. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked about this tree that had barakah. Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadar ta'ala. He listed out some of the commonalities between the insan and this tree that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was uh, indicating towards. But this following part is where the interesting uh, conversation occurs. Go ahead. Abdullah ibn Umar says, the people began thinking about the different trees in the forests. Some said it is such and such tree. Someone else said it is such and such tree. It occurred to me that it is the date palm. I wanted to say this to Rasulullah but when I looked at the seniority of the people at my own young age, I became, I became scared to say anything. This is Adam. He knew the answer. He said, I wanted to say the answer too. But there were senior Sahaba there. And I knew that it was better for me to stay silent and answer than speak. It was better for me to stay silent than to answer in the presence of the seniors. In the gathering of the like of Abu Bakr and This is Adab. That you have to know when it's time to speak. And you also know, need to know when it's time to stay quiet. In the world that we're in, people don't know the, the difference. They just keep talking. You know. They just keep giving feedback and keep talking and keep shouting and keep raising their voice as if they're standing at Walmart. That, you know, I, I need milk and I need it right now and you need to go bring it from the back. Otherwise, I will throw a tantrum and call your superior. That sort of attitude won't work with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You'll get hit really hard. And it could be a cause of becoming mahroom of iman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can just pull the plug on you and the next thing you know it, iman is gone from your heart, may Allah protect us all. But it's, it is what it is, we have to be, we have, we have to be honest. My, one of my teachers used to say, What that means is that sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may give you respite. He may let you go. Let you go. You, you committed something wrong, let him go. Let him go. Let, means delay, respite. 
But don't think that Allah doesn't know what you did just because He's letting you go this time. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I give them respect. Keep sinning. Keep disobeying. Because because when I hold you accountable, then you won't get off. Allah says, I'm letting them go. Go. Go do your thing. Then they will be held accountable. They'll come and they will hold them. And where will they run then? There will be no place for you to escape. Because there is no place to escape but to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Sahabi Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhu, he understood the adab of staying silent and um, he didn't say anything. He stayed quiet there. Yes, go ahead. When I looked at myself, I saw myself merely 10 years old, the youngest and smallest of all who were present. When I looked around me, I saw Abu Bakr and Umar anhu sitting silently, so I also remained silent. When these two, Abu Bakr and Umar anhu did not speak, the people said, you tell us what the tree is, O Rasulullah. Rasulullah said, It is the date palm. When we stood up from there, I said to my father, Umar, Oh, father, I take an oath about Allah. It had occurred to me that it was the date palm. He said, What prevented you from giving the answer? I said, I saw all of you remaining silent. I saw you and Abu Bakr not speaking. And I am a young boy, so I felt shy and did not want to speak or say anything. This is why I remained silent. Umar said, had you given the answer, it would have been far more beloved to me than my having such and such thing. As a father, there was no, no doubt that he would have joy and pride, right? That alhamdulillah, his son was able to answer the question of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But he didn't, re, he didn't rebuke him for staying silent. He said, had you spoken, it would have brought me pleasure, right? But from the other side, from the other perspective, this uh, understanding of Ibn Umar was also correct. Therefore, the ulama, they narrate this hadith under the chapter of being respectful to your seniors, right? That you have waqara and tawfid for the people that are older than you, that you know when to speak, you have sharaf, you have honor for those that are younger than you too. You know where your place is. If Umar radiallahu's rahmah and his mercy for his child was that had you spoken, it would have made me happy. But Ibn Umar radiallahu's uh, understanding of the situation was that staying silent was the better thing for me to do. This riwayah and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam engaging with them and asking this question was it's such a deep narration that many of the ulama narrate this hadith. Many of the ulama narrate this exactly why. As the author mentioned at the beginning that this riwayah was uh, narrated uh, by Bukhari and Muslim. Imam Bukhari narrates this hadith 11 times in his Sahih. How many times? 11 times. And this is the beauty of Imam Bukhari's collection, that he narrates one hadith repeatedly. And the reason why he does this is to show how one narration can be looked at from different angles and there are different rulings that will present themselves. You look at one narration from this angle, it'll tell you something. You turn a little to one corner and look at it from another angle, it tells another story. You look at it from this angle, it tells another story. And for those of you who have studied Sahih al-Bukhari formerly with the teacher will know that the main focus or goal of Imam Bukhari 
in writing the Sahih is istimbat al-masail, right? For pointing out what the ilal are in masail and how to deduce uh, um, rulings from the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So therefore you'll find Imam, Muslim, Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi he narrates um, he narrates one hadith multiple times, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha with Barira radiallahu anha. Again, for those of you who have read hadith will know that Barira radiallahu anha was the freed slave of Ummul Muminina Aisha radiallahu anha. So there is a famous narration that she narrates that Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi narrates 22 times. That one hadith he brings how many times? 22 times, the hadith of Barira radiallahu anha. It's one of the most important narrations it's an argument can be made that modern day finance that we have is actually even possible because of her narration. Do you guys understand this? That you know how we transact with money? Forget about even borrowing money, financing like that. I'm just talking about the functioning of the economy, of the economy. In its essence, it could be argued that it's based off of the riwayah of Barira radiallahu anha. You guys know the narration? Where she came and uh, the Prophet ﷺ came home and there was some food cooking and he said to her, what's for food? So then he saw that they were cooking some meat there. When he asked for food, they gave him something simple. Like imagine someone comes home and they see biryani cooking and when they ask for food, they serve them dal chawal. Right? So you're wondering, man, there was steak on the grill there and you're giving me salad? My food's food? What's this? So then she said that we have some meat. But that was given as sadaqah, and it was given to me as sadaqah, and O Messenger of Allah, you don't eat sadaqah, you don't accept sadaqah, which is a true statement. So Rasulullah then said the profound statement, Laki sadaqah wa lana hadiyah. That it's sadaqah for you, but if you choose to share it, it'll be a gift for me, I can eat it then. This becomes the foundation of transactions. This statement of Rasulullah You guys understand this? The principle is that as wealth goes from one hand to another, its ruling resets. The hukum of it changes. Someone collected interest from one person over there. He then used that money to buy milk, who then used that money to buy bread, and it's now in your hand in the form of rent for a car. That money is jams for you. Why is that? Because it went through hands. And every time it goes through hands, multiple hands, it now purifies. It, 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 the ruling kind of resets. It starts from the statement of Barira radiallahu anha, that laki sadaqa wa lana hadiyah. That for you that wealth was one thing, but if you choose to give it to us, if you choose to share it, the ruling will change. It won't be sadaqa any longer. It's not eternally sadaqa. It's not eternally impure. Are you guys following this? Such a profound... Uh, deduction the fuqaha have made from this riwayah of Barira radiallahu anha. Similarly, the riwayah of Jabir radiallahu anha. Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi narrates the riwayah of Jabir radiallahu anha. If you're wondering which one this is, this is the riwayah when they were returning from a battle and his camel was very slow. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then purchased the camel from him and ended up giving it back to him too. Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi narrates the riwayah of Jabir radiallahu anha over 20 times. How many? Over 20. The um, riwayah of Aisha radiallahu anha, that she, uh, Rasulullah purchased some food from a, a Jewish person. 
and then left his armor as collateral. Imam Bukhari narrates this hadith 11 times. That same riwayah again and again. And then this last one I told you, I already mentioned the third riwayah we just read. Like this Imam Bukhari narrates one hadith multiple times to show us how when you look at a narration from different angles, there are different lessons that we can learn from them. And this is the genius of the ulama of the past, how intelligent they were. Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghuda rahimahullah ta'ala, at the end of this narration, he lists out some fawaid. Does he have them listed there? The eight fawaid? He has eight. Okay, you can read them. Go ahead. I will now make reference to the main lessons which are derived from this noble hadith. It is meritorious for an alim to pose a question to his companions in order to test their understanding and to urge them to think and ponder. He should also explain the answer to them if they are unable to understand Students That's important. You can't just pose a question and leave. If they don't understand, then you have to explain it. So he says that That now it's the job of the scholar to explain it as well, that you didn't know the answer to this. Well, this is the answer. And this is why this is the answer. Yes. Students should be encouraged to understand knowledge. Understanding knowledge. Don't just read. Don't just listen. A teacher will hold the student by the hand and not just show them the room, but walk them around the room. Show them how everything works. Make them familiar with every corner. So now that student, if they need to come back to that room later on alone, they feel very happy, happy and confident that I know where I am. Right? So this is, the, this is a sort of environment that needs to be created of discussion, mudakara, munaqasha, mubahatha. You're conversing and learning, and the teacher is, you know, explaining things thoroughly. Yes. Examples and similarities should be presented for additional understanding to illustrate a point so that it may be firmly embedded in the mind. Examples, he says, barbul amthari wal ashbah. Right? Uh, Examples and, and parables are very important for explaining um, issues. So you can take something very complicated and explain it in a simple way by presenting an example or using a story. That through a story we see how this issue demonstrates and how it's demonstrated, how it makes sense. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this very reason uses amthal in the Quran. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses parables. So even things that are complicated and maybe difficult for the human being to understand, they now become easy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we recited it in Maghrib Salah today, that that a person tried to use a parable to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to negate, to reject Resurrection after death. One of the mushrikun of Mecca came to the Prophet ﷺ with a decayed bone and he said that you're saying once we become this, we're going to come back to this, pointing at himself, like we are going to reverse from this. And this bone is like basically falling off into dust. That from here we're going to reverse back into this full form human being. Allah says, bad example, buddy. This guy's trying to be like Shah Waliullah right here, like super intelligent, smart guy, like busting out all of his usul and all the arguments that he has. But he's trying to explain an argument to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
That's why the language in the ayah is quite phenomenal. Look at the smart guy. He's trying to give us examples, trying to teach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This guy must have thought really clever of himself. He probably said to his buddies, guys, watch this, I'm going to nail it. I'm going to go give an example to my creator. And his buddies must have told him, yeah, you go, man. And he went there and he's probably giving himself a high five there, patting himself on the back. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses this fool as an example to show us how the kibbutz of the insan also makes them dumb. Now their arrogance makes them silly and foolish. Allah says that you're so proud of your example. But before Allah even quotes his statement or even addresses him, Allah says that what the problem is. The problem is How did this guy make this blunder in analogy? How did he make such a, a, a engage in such a flaw? Flawed analogy. How? He wasn't thinking straight. Had he thought about his origins, he would have no problem with understanding resurrection. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us from nothing. Creating something from something is easier. And there's no question about that. And then Allah gives an example. There is a wood that you take it and if you if you use it, if you kind of rub it against itself, what happens? The fire comes into existence. And you have wood. What does wood have to do with fire? You, you guys understand? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created it. In our language, you know, we call this chakmaki lakari, that you take this wood and you, you hit it like this, and it creates a fire. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes the mind of the human being on a deep reflection. The one who created the heavens and the earth, you think that he's going to have a tough time creating you again? Like really? How dumb are you? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this whole nizam of the dunya. Everything is working in harmony. All the species above the ocean, in the ocean, above the ground, in the ground, the one that we know and the ones that we don't know. He created all of that. And this dude right here thinks he nailed it because he's holding a bone and he's saying that, you know, how is Allah going to return us back from this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, وَتِلْكَ الْأَمْثَالُ نَضْرِبُهَا لِلنَّاسِ وَمَا يَعْقِلُهَا إِلَّا الْعَالِمُونَ لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ Again and again, Allah tells us that, you know, these stories and these analogies, these examples are for people of intelligence. And once a person is thinking like this, once they're thinking right, once they're able to process these analogies, the world around you becomes a big mithal. The whole world does. The body of the human being becomes a mithal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qudra. The streets you see, the sky that you look at becomes a mithal of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But for that, you need intelligence. And a teacher can spark that, by the way, by getting students to reflect. They tell me about this. Think about this. Like Rasulullah asked about the tree. Yes, go ahead. Please also focus the mind towards the wisdom of, the, of any particular occurrence. 
A comparison between two things does not necessarily mean that they share all qualities and are similar in every way, because an inanimate object cannot be similar or equivalent to a believer. And look, so this is a this is a good point. I really love this point that he made here. Uh, I'm even inclined to elaborate on this point a little bit, but I know that it'll turn into a rant, and I try to avoid those these days. But I want you to understand the point that he's making. If you understand this, maybe there's khayr, and maybe your mind will open up to some of the outcomes of this statement of his. When you're comparing two things, they don't have to be exactly the same. You guys understand that? Sometimes you can draw an analogy between two things, and the analogy is partial in regards to the one, in regards to the aspects of those two things that are common. Do you guys understand? So for example, someone can say, this is mean what I'm about to say, but I need you to understand it. This is why it's prop people are so unfortunately childish. They don't have any intellectual capacity that they, unless the analogy is 100%, they say, well, it's a faulty analogy. Well, that's not what I'm trying to point. Like for example, if someone were to say, this person is like a dog. Now one person can say, well, that's not true. Well, then you can say, well, in some aspects, maybe he is. Allah says, this person is like a donkey. This person is like an animal. You guys understand? Now, a person would easily say, but that person is not a dog. He doesn't have a tongue sticking out of his mouth. Boom, you're owned. Slow it down. Pythagoras here. Like this guy went like super like, he's <laughs> killing it here. Slow down. Well, if Allah is saying that this person is like a dog, well, there's a reason. From that perspective, the analogy is sound. This person is like a donkey. It's not it's not we're saying that it's not that we're claiming that this person in its entirety is a donkey, but rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that from this perspective, this person's a donkey. He's like a, a donkey carrying a load on his back. As th the same example applies to someone who has knowledge and doesn't act upon it. You guys understand this? So again, this is a more technical issue, but it's something worth noting that when presenting analogies, that the shbih doesn't have to be kamin min kulil from every angle and aspect. As long as you clarify that in this analogy of mine, when I say the sun and moon are similar. I'm not talking about the origin of the light. I'm talking about from the fact that they both deliver light. That's a fair That's a fair statement. You guys understand? Now someone says, oh, the sun and the moon are two different because one, one reflects light, one has, one has light as a result of what's happening on the surface. From that perspective, it's different. But from another perspective, it's the, it's the same. Anyway, yes, go ahead, continue. There is merit in humility as long as it does not cause deficiencies. You have to understand this. That's the point that I'm telling you. The outcomes of what I just said right now are tremendous. They are tremendous. I've heard people saying this, that, you know, well, what's the point of reading the Quran when the examples of the Quran don't relate to modern times? Well, if you're looking for an example that fits you, a human being that can't get off his phone, and it's constantly on TikTok and Instagram, then the Quran has nothing to offer to you. If you want that exact same person. But if you want an example of people that's, 
that suffered from severe ghafla, the Quran has stories. But for that, you're going to have to use your aqal. You know, kids say to their parents that you don't relate to us anymore. Well, in some aspects, if you're, if you're talking about foot by foot, inch by inch life experiences, then no one's going to relate to you because your situation is unique. But if you're intelligent and are willing to listen, you might notice that your parents, your grandparents, the elders in the community, even the young ones, may have wisdom to share that if you use your creativity to bridge the gap between where they are and where you are, you will find a great lesson for you to connect and bond with. But that requires intelligence, a lot of creativity, as I mentioned. You have to think about it. Go ahead, let's finish this off. There is merit in humility as long as it does not cause deficiencies. For this reason, Umar wished that his son had not remained seven. Elders should be respected, and a young person should allow his father to speak first. In fact, a young person should not speak before his father has spoken, even if he thinks that his understanding is correct. At times, a senior alim may not understand something. You're sitting in a gathering when there, when there are elders there. You should stay quiet. It's the best thing. Two sahabi came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to um, inform him of a murder that occurred in Medina Munawwara. So when the two of them came, the young one started speaking. What did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa say? He said, bring the elder forward. You were there, you're one of the witnesses, you saw the body, but you're not the one that's going to talk. Go to the back. The one that's older and senior in age, you come forward and talk. Tell me what happened. The adab that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us. Yes. Now then the question always comes in, the counter argument is, are we, not, are we not supposed to empower our youth? And to that, I always say the same thing. Of course we empower our youth. There's no question about that. There's a time and place for it. There's a time and place. You know, are we supposed to empower our youth by getting young 16, 17, 18-year-old amazing people? And I say amazing because as individuals, they may be awesome to deliver the Jum'ah khutbah when you have senior scholars maybe in the community or people of seniority. The answer is no. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not empowerment. That's taking away from the seriousness of this mimba that we have. Everything has a place in time. There is a gathering, there is a place, there is an environment where you can promote the youth to be involved and prepare them to be leaders. And if they view, if we teach our youth to believe that until you don't speak, you are not being prepared for leadership and for the future, then we are setting them up for failure. Because not everyone will give them a podium. And a part of development and leadership is knowing that you have to work and lead sometimes without even saying a word in front of the mic. Are there people who lead the ummah forward without giving lectures? Without? Yes or no? Of course there are. Because leadership is here and here. Intellectually prepare them, spiritually prepare them. And these skills, these auxiliary skills need to exist, knowing how to speak, knowing how to write, knowing how to engage, you know, um, conversational skills, those can be developed with time. And it's not as if you need to start giving lectures when you're 18 years old. No, you don't need to. If there is a need, then you learn it at that time. Otherwise, you know, learn how to serve the deen in other capacities. And when you're a young adult, someone's in their early 20s, you want to learn to speak. There are opportunities in our community that may not be as glamorous and glorious as speaking from the mimbar of the jami'ah masjid of the community. But there are MSAs that need people to come and speak. Many of the students who say to me that, Sheikh, I'd like to learn to give Jama'a khutbah, or I'd love, I'd love to learn to 
you know, practice my, my, my oratory skills, I always tell them, I'll find you a place. Most of the times, you know what, what, what places I send them to? Somewhere that's one hour away. I'll send them one hour away. Go, go to Princeton. Hour, 15 minutes. Not the New Jersey Princeton. Like the Texas one. It's like God in the middle of nowhere. It's not even the highway that takes you there. And if they say, Sheikh, it's too far, then I say, you got your answer. You go back to doing other things in life. A part of this deen is willing, is, is for you, a part of the khidmah of the deen is for you to be okay with the sacrifice that's involved in serving the deen. It's a part of it. You have to wait for your opportunity. Wait for the time to come. Surround yourself by people who can see you and what's ahead of you. Yes, go ahead. At times, a senior item may not understand something while a person who is junior to him may understand it. It's another lesson that sometimes the young can know more than the senior. Can that happen? Is that possible? Can a young person have more knowledge than someone that's older than them? Absolutely. It's the dua that hopefully every parent and teacher makes that I hope that my students can do more khidmah than I am. I hope my child grows greater than I am. Say it the parents that are sitting here. Is that not the dua that we make for our kids? That I hope they go ahead of us. So sometimes even the student eclipses the teacher. Yes. It is because knowledge is granted by Allah Ta'ala and He gives it to whom He wills. The proof which Imam Malik derived. And the, 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 the senior should not be jealous. They should be happy. You think Umar got mad because his son knew the answer, he didn't know it? No. I, you know, in, at the seminary, we, we study Mishkat al-Masabih, and in the introduction of that book, I say to the students all the time, uh, Khatib Tabrezi was instructed to write the book by his teacher, his teacher said to him that I need you to work up, clean up the work of Baghali. So he went and he cleaned it up and organized it and added referencing, added referencing, all the stuff. Once the Mishkat al-Masabih was complete, then the teacher wrote a commentary on his students' work. How humble were these people? then writes a commentary on, on the Mishkat. La ilaha illallah. Go ahead. Proof which Imam Malik derived from this hadith is that there is no harm in having such thoughts and feelings in the heart for which a person likes to be praised when he does any good. However, these thoughts need to be solely from Allah Ta'ala. This is proven from Umar al-Allah's wish that his son should have said what he had understood and stated the correct answer which had occurred to him. The basis for Umar al-Allah's wish was the human attribute to like good for oneself and one's children and for the goodness of one's children to be exposed from a young age, and so that his son could gain closeness to Rasulullah Yeah, he knew that if my son answered it, his intelligence would have been displayed in front of Rasulullah Nabi would have given my son extra attention. That this person gave a good answer. He's a young kid. This one's a bright one. Keep an eye on him. So Umar one desired that for his son. This is why he desired for his son to speak. This is why he told him to speak. He wanted him to speak. Yes. He probably hoped that Rasulullah would supplicate in favor of his son to gain That's addition. another possible possibility that when he was hoping that if his son answered, uh, that if he had answered, the Prophet would have made a dua for him. Right? 
uh, just as the Prophet had made dua for Abdullah ibn Abbas. Yes. Abdullah ibn Abbas had brought the water of his own accord without Rasulullah requesting him to do so. Yeah, one day Nabi was somewhere. Ibn Abbas presented water. The Prophet didn't tell him to bring water, he brought it on his own accord. So, Prophet was so touched by this initiative of his that he said, Allahumma faqihu fi deen wa alimhu ta'wil. Give him a deep understanding of the deen and teach him the interpretation of the Quran. And then we all know what happened to Ibn Abbas. These du'as hit him bullseye. Yes. A person is extremely pleased when his son is correct or is inspired to do or say what is right. The insignificance of this world in the sight of anhu is apparent because he compared his son's understanding of a single matter to that of red camels as mentioned in another hadith, despite their great value and high price. It is not detestable for a child to say what he knows in the presence of his father, even if his father does not know it. This does not entail discourtesy to one's father. It boils down to how you say it. If you say it in a demeaning way to your father, you're belittling them or your mother, that's wrong. This is why young people should be careful when teaching their parents. If you can say it in a loving, empowering way, go ahead. Your parents will make dua for you. But if you try to make them feel small, you're trying to flex how much you know, you use it as a refutation against your parents when they say something, they say something and you shoot back with the hadith right away, that's haram. Don't do this kind of stuff. Go ahead. The humility and modesty of the Sahaba, had in their presence of their elders and seniors, and how they remain silent in their presence is evident. The ulama say there is evidence in this hadith to show that an alim should distinguish between his companions by posing complex riddles and puzzles to, to them in order to test their intelligence in solving problems and clarifying difficulties. Rasulullah used to explain and compare various injunctions for the benefit of his sahaba if procedures were confusing to them, uh, were confusing to them, or rules were difficult to comprehend, by using analogies and comparisons. We'll stop here. Yeah. So this last part that he mentioned regarding al-ghaz, that a teacher can also use riddles to get the student to think that what's the solution? You've taught them something, and now you give them a riddle. There are so many examples of this. For example, the teacher says to the student. Define the following, translate the following statement. Al-Qamus, Al-Qamus, Fil-Qamus. What does that mean? Now to the average person, it means nothing. But to someone who has, has studied Nahu or Sarf before, or has studied language before, they'll know the answer to this riddle. So for example, Man qala qala Allah faqad kafar. Whoever said qala Allah faqad kafar. What's the answer to that against a riddle? Those who know will know the riddle. But for, in order for you to undo that riddle, you have to have knowledge. So you need some training before you offer the riddle. You need some training before you offer the riddle. Yes. When we were in our, um, when we were doing our, our um, if that program, our teacher once presented us with a scenario. He said, what's a scenario that a lady can get married three times in one day? So now you have to think of the answer. What's a scenario of how a lady can get married three times in? I mean, a guy can get married three times in one day. He doesn't have that. But what's the scenario that a lady can get married three times in one day? 
So now you have to go through the books and think of all the uh, all the scenarios and all the all, all the situations. And for those of you that have studied fiqh before, you know how that works. Until you finally grind it through and say, oh, this is the exact scenario. This were to happen, this were to happen, this were to happen, this were to happen, this were to happen. And all these circumstances were to line up exactly like this. This could, this could be the outcome. I mean, it's obviously an impossible situation almost. But you, know, you guys understand. So these are laws that the teachers sometimes uh, throw at their students to challenge them to think and to, um, you know, to sharpen their skills. Okay, folks, with that, we'll conclude here. We'll start with the next chapter of Allah Wills in our next class. وصلى الله تعالى على سيدنا محمد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته